0: Let's pray again. Father in heaven, Lord, as we open your word, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit and your holy angels to illuminate our minds. Lord, we want to hear a word from you. Speak to us now. We pray this to you in your name, amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. When we moved down here from Michigan, um, my wife immediately signed up our daughter, Shelby, uh, for swimming lessons. My daughter loves to swim. Um, she would rather be in the water than be on land. Well, all the women, the moms were there. All the little kids were swimming, and the moms were there. And a, a holiday was coming up. And I don't remember which one it was, but it doesn't matter. Um, and they were thinking, well, is the schedule going to change? What the, what's the schedule going to be like? So my wife went up to the gentleman who was in charge of this program, and she went in and said, knocked on the door and said, Sir, is the schedule going to change Um, for the swimming lessons. And he goes, I knew somebody was going to ask me that. He goes, I put it on one pole. She goes, okay. So she went downstairs and started looking for poles. And she's looking at all the different poles in the building and she didn't see a sign anywhere. She didn't know what to do so she went back up and she said, I'm sorry. She goes, but I looked at every pole I could find and I didn't see a sign. He goes, I didn't say pole, I said pole. And she's like, just standing there, she's like I don't know what to say, and then it hit her. He said, "Pool." Sorry, we're from the north, and sometimes the southern accent is a little strong, and she couldn't understand what she what he was trying to say. So she was confused, um, and she didn't understand what he was trying to say. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, sometimes we have confusion, and sometimes we misunderstand what people have to say. When I was becoming a Christian, I had a lot of confusion in my spiritual life. I didn't know. I knew God wanted to change me, but I didn't know how. I wasn't sure. Was it just the bad stuff that he wanted to take away? Um, Was there good stuff he wanted to change? And if he did, what was it going to look like? I had no idea. Um, So I went as what a lot of new Christians do. I went into, I was going to be perfect. I was going to be the perfect Christian. I was going to be super Christian. I was going to have a big C on my chest. I was going to do everything I could to, to be perfect, to be like Jesus. And I became I came ultra, ultra conservative. And to be honest with you, my spiritual life was more like walking on eggshells. I went around being in fear of what I might do wrong versus enjoying my relationship with God. then I went to the next thing, which is, well, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be perfect, and I want to be like Jesus. But I misunderstood that too. I thought being like Jesus was keeping commandments and understanding doctrine. Well, that didn't seem very fulfilling to me. That was very empty. I knew God wanted something else for me. Then I looked up in the Bible, see what Jesus is really like. So we looked it up, And you'll see on this slide, it's kind of silly to think that you can be like Jesus. On the left side, you have a few of the miracles that he did. And on the right side, you see some attributes. Well, I've done none of those things, and I can't do any of those things. My wife thinks I think I'm all-knowing, but I know I'm not. Um, I'm not all-powerful, and I'm not omnipresent. So how in the world am I going to be like Jesus? Because I can't do anything that he does or be anything like he is. Then I came across a verse, Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter uh, 55 verse 8, it says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. I'm like, okay, great. Thanks, God. I can't be perfect because I'm not doing that well. I can't be like you because I can't do any of the things that you do. Now you're telling me I can't think like you. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Great. So now what am I going to do? And the next slide will have you kind of describe my spiritual walk. I was confused. I had no idea what God wanted. I knew he wanted something. I knew he wanted to change me somehow. I knew something was important, but I had no idea what it was. And I had no idea how to figure it out. And I was one of those people, you hear, you hear people say, well, this is the way the Lord changed me. And you hear those things, and you're like, what's wrong with me? You know, why am I not changing? I, I want to change. Or I would make a sincere commitment to God and say, okay, God, I want to do this. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I know this behavior is bad. I want you to give me victory. And then I'd go right back to the old way almost instantly. Why was that not taking? Why was I not growing in my spiritual walk? And I I became very, very confused. And I came down to two things. Okay, it's going to keep the commandments or I'm going to prepare for the end times. Those are the two things I can do. I studied Daniel and Revelation backwards and forward. I know the, the uh, prophecy, end time prophecies. I can, I can rattle them off like that. But something was missing. And I realized that's behavior. That's all about what I do. It's not about what God does. It's about what I do. My mother-in-law moved down here years ago and found a pastor that she really enjoyed. And she would take his CDs and she would mail them to me all the time. And I would dutifully listen to these CDs of this pastor. And slowly I began to understand what God wanted to do in my life. And I don't know if he's here right now, but that pastor happened to be Pastor Jerry Arnold. So, Pastor Jerry, if you're in here, thank you for uh, changing my life, allowing God to use you to change me. So I knew I needed to do something different. What change? I now know that the change are not about miracles. I know it's not about attributes. I know it's not about perfection. And now I think I know it's about a quality, but it's about one particular quality that God wants in my life. If I were to ask you, what's the number one quality of God? What would you say? Love. Everybody's going to say that. God is love. He says that over and over and over. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to read verses 8 and 16 and 17. But anyone who does not know love does not know God, for God is love. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. And we will not be afraid on that day of judgment. But when we can can face him with confidence, because we we live like Jesus here in this world. You notice this verse is all wrapped up in love. But I found the two things I was trying to do. I have my perfect in there, and then I have my be like Jesus in there. I had it wrong. It's supposed to be wrapped in love. It's not about being perfect in my world as an individual. It's not about being exactly like Jesus. It's about loving like Jesus. And that was hard to, hard to comprehend. I thought about how Jesus said in the New Testament, basically there's two commandments. I'm going to dumb down this thing for you guys because I think as we, as we got, sin came along, I think we kind of got dumber and dumber. So he boiled it down to two things. I'm going to make this simple for you. I want you to love God and I want you to love man. I'm like, okay, I can probably do that. So we turn to Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verse 27. And it says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. I can do that. I can love. He's not asking for a whole lot. Just everything. But when he says everything, he means everything. He means the good. He means the bad. He means the dysfunction. The mess. Whatever crud you have in your life. Whatever crud I have in my life. Jesus says, I want it all. Just come. Come. Come as you are, but just come. And then in John chapter 13, verse 34, so so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. It's okay, I can do this. I can love God, and I can love you, most of you. Lewis. I can do this. And then if you read this a little too fast, you're going to miss something. God doesn't want me to love you like we love one another. He wants me to love you like he loves you. I can't do that. I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what that's like. How in the world am I going to love you like God loves you? I don't even know what that love is. Luckily, the Bible tells us exactly what that love is. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the love chapter, very famous. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. This is what the definition of God's love is all about. Kind of hard, but maybe. I'd like us to read this together, and I had to explain this to first service. When I say I want to read it together, I mean out loud. Okay, so we're going to read this, but we're going to change the word love to Jesus. Okay, are we ready? Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus is not jealous or boastful. Okay, I actually couldn't see part of it because <laughs> that was blocking me. So I had to let you guys read, so I didn't read out loud this time. But that's what God is like. That's who Jesus is. So let's go back to the original text and let's, let's compare. So I wanted to see, how do I do? I'm patient, unless you drive me nuts. And I'm kind, if you deserve it. I'm not jealous, well, unless you're rich, and I'm not boastful, unless it's true, because if it's true, then I'm not bragging. (laughs) I'm not proud, unless I do something really good. I'm not rude, unless you deserve it. I don't demand my own way, unless I know I'm right. I'm not irritable, unless you make me mad. I keep no record of wrong, being wronged, as long as you don't do it to me. I rejoice whenever truth wins out, except when we talk about taxes. Love never gives up, unless it's too hard. Love never loses faith, unless it's hopeless. I'm always hopeful, unless I'm depressed. And I endure through every circumstance unless I just can't go any farther. How how did you guys measure up to that? I did none of those. So God has some work to do in my life. So I realized, okay, I'm supposed to love like that, but I can't. I'm not very good at that. So I went and I looked at the different attributes here, the different qualities of what love is, to see what God did and how it can relate to my life. Love is patient. Patience is slowing down to another person's pace. Not going faster than somebody else wants to go. That's exactly what God did. God slowed down. He did this extraordinary thing. He slowed down to our pace. Can you imagine if he didn't? He's faster than the speed of light. We would have never known that God existed. We would have missed him. There's no way we could have known who he was. So he slowed down to meet our pace, to meet us where we were. He slowed down and sent prophets so we could know who he was. He sent Jesus so we could know what he was like. And then Jesus died on the cross so we could know what love really looked like. Love is not pushy. Love is a choice. And it always chooses. It chooses to move at the other person's pace. Love is a decision not to push, but to pause. This isn't natural. I think you should live life, love life, and be life, do everything in life exactly at the same speed as me. And if you don't, I want to know what's wrong with you. Because my way is the right way. But that's not how God treats us. That's not how God wants us to treat one another. Love defers to the other person's pace. Because that's exactly what God did for us. Love is kind. When we think of kindness a lot of times we think it's weak or soft. It's actually strength. Strength. Kindness is a sign of strength. Unkindness is weakness. It's weak because unkindness, I can't control my mouth. I can't control my behavior. I can't control my um, actions. It's weak. It's weakness. Kindness is loaning somebody your strength when they're weak and instead of reminding them of their weakness. Kindness is reaching out to lend someone else your strength. And that's exactly what God did for us. Think about all the promises you've made, all the promises you've broken, all the commitments you've made, the values made, the things you said you were going to do and didn't. Knowing all those things, Jesus came and died for you anyway. He reached down and lent us his strength In the midst of our weakness. That's what God is like, and that's what God wants us to be like. Continuing, love is not jealous. Love does not boast, is not proud, is not rude, does not demand its own way. In other words, love allows the other person to shine, allows the other person to have the spotlight. Are you the type of person that wants all the credit? They want the spotlight. Um, there's a song, and I I can't remember the lyric, so if it's inappropriate, forgive me, but um, I think it was Toby Keith, Uh, he's a country singer, he sung a song, What About Me? And he goes, me, 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 that's us. I want to talk about me. I don't want to talk about you. That's not what God wants. God says, I want you to treat people better than yourself, because I treated you better than myself. He said, I sent my son to die for you, and I put you above me. I want you to follow me. But if you do, I want you to put others ahead of yourself. Not because they're better, just because we should treat them that way. Not because they deserve it, because they don't. I don't but we do it anyway. And the least deserving it is, the better. That's the love that God is calling us to. Love is not irritable. I wanted to skip this one because it made me mad. Okay, that was cheap. This term irritable is actually a cooking term. It means to be stirred up like you're stirring a pot. Do you get stirred up? Most versions will say, and I'm glad it says this, you don't get easily angered. It always has the word easily. This version doesn't. I'm glad it says the word easily because we're all going to get frustrated. We're all going to get mad. But do we easily get wound up or ticked off? Do people push your buttons? Does your spouse push your buttons? Do your coworkers push your buttons? Do those people over there or that group over there, do they push your buttons? Here's the problem. Those are your buttons. It's not the other person's problem. It's your problem. It's my problem. Matter of fact, no one can make you angry. No one has ever made you angry. All they can do is bring it out of you. And what God wants to do is he wants to deal with what's in you before it, becomes, before it comes out of you. That's what God wants to do. That's the love that God has for us. That's the kind of love that God wants us to share with one another. Continuing, love keeps no record of wrongs. We all know these people. You do anything wrong, they dutifully jot it down, open up the filing cabinet, That's the eighth time you've done that one, shuts the filing cabinet. I worked with a teacher, I won't say the school. He kept a file on every single staff member in the building. What did he put in there? It's like every time he was offended or every time I did something wrong. I got to be honest with you, this is kind of my personality. I wanted to break into his office and put new stuff in there. I just wanted to make stuff up and give him something to read. I don't remember Jim doing that. It's because I didn't do it. I made it up. But I was going to have fun with it. Do you enjoy catching people messing up? That's not how God treats us. Don't be mistaken, though. God does have a filing cabinet on each of us. And our filing cabinet is miles and miles and miles long. But here's the great part. He never opens the drawer. He separates us as far from our sins as far as the east is from the west. He throws them into the depths of the ocean as if they were no more. Jesus covers our wrongs instead of points them out. That's how he wants us to treat one another. Love rejoices when truth wins, never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful endures through every circumstance. How we treat people matters. This love thing to God is really important. We need to put the needs and interests of other people before ours. Jesus tells us, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. How is the world going to know that we're Christians? By the way we treat each other. Do we treat each other with the love that God wants us to treat each other with? How we treat each other matters. Love matters. This is a love that is beyond us. It's not a love that comes natural. It's not anything that we've seen. And we can't do it by ourselves. So here we are again. God's asking me to do something that I can't do again. But this time, he explains us exactly. it's done. Paul tells us exactly how to incorporate and learn how to have God's love in your heart. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 says, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world. In other words, don't form yourself or don't allow yourself to be formed by the world. Don't be formed according to a particular pattern or a mold. In other words, God's telling us not to be this guy. Don't be this guy. God doesn't want you to be this guy. This is what the world wants you to be. And in our culture, it's I want to be rich. I want to be rich. I want to be rich. I want to be famous. I want to be famous. I want to be famous. I want to be powerful. I want to be powerful. I want to be powerful. This is not what God has in store for us. This is what the world has in store for us. Now, do you want to be a conformer? Or do you want to be something different? Do you want to be a transformer? Okay, kids, you might have to explain to your parents what that is. Um, It's a toy. I, I, I get to play with toys on the platform. God wants to change us and transform us. Let's continue with verse 12. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. The word transform is the word the Greek word that we use to get metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is to change into something completely different. Have a little warm up there. I hate bugs. Nasty little caterpillar. It's probably slimy. That's kind of what we're like. But God wants us to change, not become better. He wants us to change into something completely different, like this little caterpillar. What does that caterpillar do to change into the butterfly? Does it squeeze its little legs really hard and say, I'm going to pop out wings? Does it think, I'm going to be like a butterfly? No, it just happens. God made it that way. God made them to turn into butterflies. Finishing up verse 2. Do not copy, don't copy, the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. God's not concerned with your behavior. Now, I would stone me 20 years ago for saying that. That would be heresy. But God doesn't care about my behavior. I can behave and not be converted. That's easy to do. I can't be transformed without a miracle. God is wanting to do a miracle in my life. This is not a prayer we pray. This is not a commitment to God that we make. It's not a promise to God that we make. This is a process. This is a process that takes time. It's a process that takes a lifetime. God wants to transform our minds. He wants to change the way you think. He wants to change your mind. Think of it this way. When you you paint a car, you don't put old paint on the new paint. You take a sander and you buff off all the old paint. And then you put on the new paint. You take off the old, put on the new. When you do, when you finish furniture, you take off the old and put off the new. That's exactly what God wants to do with us. He wants to take off the old and put on the new. What happens when you paint new paint on top of old paint? Anybody know? It peels off. It just peels off. This is why when we make those commitments and promises to God, this time is just like the last time. Because we're not allowing God to take off the old part before we put the new part on. If you're not changing like I was in my beginning walk with Christ, I was so confused. Why are all these other people changing and I'm not? It's because I wasn't allowing him to take away the old and put on the new. I was trying to put the new over the old. And in education, we call that behavior modification. Behavior modification is putting the new over the old. I can change my behavior, but it doesn't really change me inside. It just changes the outside. And in education, it's great because then you quit giving me a hard time in the classroom. But when it comes to Christianity, God's not interested in that. God's not interested in behavior modification. He's only interested in one thing, and that's character transformation. God wants to transform us into something completely different. He wants to remove the old and put on the new. A transformed mind leads to a transformed life. Now you might be thinking, that list is hard. I can't do all those things. You're right, it is hard. And you can't do it. But God tells us exactly how it works. Turn with me, we'll close with this. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to be reading from a version. It's called The Voice. It's a translation that's very unique. It, it's like a, a, a script in a play. It'll have angels, and then this is the angels line. And then they'll say God, and this is their line, and the people, and this is their people. This is how The Voice translate, translates Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. I am confident that the Creator who has begun such a great work among you, will not stop in mid-design, but will keep perfecting you until the day Jesus the anointed, our liberating king, returns to redeem the world. I love that version. I love to think of Jesus as my liberating king. Well, he's not come to take us home yet, so we're stuck here. Why we're stuck here, why don't we allow God to change our minds? Why don't we allow God to change the way we think? Over time, God will take us and he'll say, I'm going to teach you how to be patient. Then I'm going to teach you how to be kind. Then I'll teach you not to boast. Then let's work on your irritability. Because that's something you really need to work on. And then when he's all done, this worked much better in practice. When you're all done, you become a completely different creation. You're no longer a transformer, you're a car. That's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to take my dry, brittle bones and my stony heart and turn it into something spectacular. Something spectacular that will represent Him, that will show love to you. And that's the only way it can be done. It's our custom here to make a commitment call after every service. Today I'm going to ask you to commit... Ask God or to allow God to change your heart, to change your mind, to transform your mind. If you want to tell God, God, I want you to transform me into something completely different, I invite you to stand. Father in heaven, Lord, you've asked us to do the impossible, but luckily we serve the God. Who can do anything. And Lord, we do submit ourselves to you. We allow you to transform our minds, transform the way we think, change our minds so that we can love like you, that we can tell the world that we're yours by the way we treat each other. Teach us to love like you. In your holy name we pray. Amen.